Previously on Newsbreak, Lotus FM. Well, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome to Newsbreak Talk. I'm Tadesh Haripachad, keeping you company today as we bring you more cutting-edge current affairs. Uh, yeah, and I think the numbers are quite staggering, and there has been an you know a sort of warning that has that has come through from health minister himself um with regard to uh, the curve and how it's going to be reaching a you know a higher than expected well not higher than expected but it's going to be reaching its its, its increased peak in in coming days let's just look at the statistics as we see it and i think the interesting one to to report on most um alarmingly is the number of new cases and uh, as at yesterday there were 3825 new cases it means that positive cases identified now are at about 87000 715 with total recoveries at 47,825 and a death rate of 1,831. So these are the numbers that we're having to deal with with regard to COVID-19 as the fight against it intensifies and what's becoming very clear I think um is how serious the issue um is so we are going to be um you know providing you a bit more of an insight into that and uh letting you know um what are some of the prescribed ways right now to go about um handling it and i think uh, there's a great sort of um optimism i think with regard to the sort of miracle drug then that everybody's talking about dexamethasone which is then likely to assist you with regard to um you know fighting um covid-19 specifically you know if you're diagnosed with it and on a ventilator so yeah those are some of the interesting bits of information that has been doing the rounds so we are going to be spending a great deal of time talking about dexamethasone and uh, we can also um you know talk to you then about um what it means in terms of um handling the situation So um I I think what I found particularly interesting was that um there seems to be a um you know a great sort of a fear rather um amongst many South Africans about the alarming rate of the increase and we spoke to the Department of Health earlier this week and they say we are at the foothills of the surge meaning the you know just started to to reach that exponential growth and they say they've got a hospital integration plan that's likely to provide some sort of assistance in this regard we need to make sure that we stop the spread of the infection news break podcast we need to make sure that we stop the spread of the infection just by observing those simple measures so it is true if people continue to adopt the behaviors that they have been then the infection is going to spread and many more people are going to be infected our hospitalizations are going to increase but it also comes at a time where a lot of the economy is being opened up so it's making a bit more challenging then just try and respond accordingly isn't it yes people need need uh, uh funds in order to buy food to 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 carry on their their lives even if they're staying in indoors so no country has been able to sustain a lockdown for a very long period of time so we're going to have to learn to live with this virus
in the context that we must adopt these measures. Well, let's talk then about some of the logistics. I mean, like we say, the cases are increasing quite rapidly. I think last week there was a daily increase record of 4,302, which really suggests that, you know, the numbers are climbing. What is the health department's logistical approach to deal with, you know, this increase? Because as you indicated, it is coming. We have what we call a hospital readiness plan, which basically uh, um, predicts or tries to quantify the number of patients that we're probably going to get. It it predicts the beds that we will then need, uh, the number of people that will be hospitalized, numbers that would be in ICU, numbers that will need ventilation, uh, and then consequently the number of doctors and nurses, medicines, uh, PPE, etc. that must be in place. And we're busy getting those things in place. You'll see that we're building uh, field hospitals in various places across the country, all of which is trying to respond to, to potentially the surge that's going to come if we obviously don't change our behaviour. And it comes at a time when I think the world of science is marvelling over dexamethasone. Your thoughts on that at this point? So this trial basically provides us with some insight into the potential benefits of dexamethasone in these patients. And we would uh, hope that uh, the uh, study investigators release the results fairly soon. And our advice to clinicians at this stage is that uh, uh, we know that corticosteroids may have a beneficial effect in, in, in COVID patients, and the results seem to suggest it's only patients that are ventilated in ICU or those that are on oxygen. I think it, it would be a, a medical decision as to whether a patient with COVID and a particular clinical uh, picture will require dexamethasone or any other corticosteroid to support them, and, and, and that's our advice currently to clinicians. We would not advise patients to take dexamethasone on their own. This is something that you should be getting in hospital. Hmm. So those were the words there, Dr. Anbin Pillay from the Department of Health. So yeah, we are going to be focusing our time today on dexamethasone and then we also want to tell the human side to COVID-19. Have you lost somebody to COVID-19 and what has that challenge been like for you? Uh, and if you, you know, uh, willing enough and strong enough to share that story with us, please go ahead and do so. We are going to be speaking to somebody who lost a very dear person to them to COVID-19 just to really put a face to this. We report on it in terms of statistics. We report of it in terms of integration plans and the impact it has on a macro level. What's the impact on your heart when you lose somebody with COVID to COVID-19? So I'd love to find out about that and you can, we'll talk about that uh, in toward the second half hour of news break. But yeah, dexamethasone. So we are... Um, I'm going to be speaking to Dr. Terence Komal, who's um, a, a medical expert and spending a lot of time doing a lot of work and research and innovation with regard um, to dexamethasone. But what is it exactly? So, you know, Health Minister's William Kizia says they're very excited about the discovery made in the United Kingdom that the dexamethasone drug can be used to treat COVID-19 patients who are on ventilators. Now, the UK study has shown that the drug can reduce the mortality rate of COVID-19 by up to 30%. Dexamethasone is readily available in South Africa. The World Health Organization also welcomed the initial trials from the UK, which show that it can be effectively used in the treatment. However, it says more trials should be conducted. Mkiza says hopefully more lives will be saved. We have heard from the uh, Oxford uh, University uh, report that has indicated that 
about uh, one uh, one third of the people on ventilators and those about 20 percent of those who are on oxygen tend to uh, do much better now that for us is good news because at least we've got something that's been proven was a lot of the other um, medication is still on trial so we really hope that it's going to help us to reduce the numbers of people who succumb to the infection so there you go, Health Minister Dr. Zwilliam Kizi talking about his thoughts on dexamethasone. When we come back, we explore it in detail. We'll be speaking to Dr. Terence Komal, who's going to be giving us more insight into the drug. The COVID-19 pandemic has not only changed our country, South Africa, but it has impacted and changed the world. This is indeed our new normal. The New Norm is a brand new show that will provide relevant content that will unpack thoughts and emotions of ordinary South Africans. Through our witty yet insightful presenter, Bliss Yeli, the show will provide insights and facts on our new world affected by COVID-19 and the lockdown. Join The New Norm on SABC3 every weekday afternoon at 6pm. Good journalism is significant in 2020. We need to bring factual-based news to the community. And I actually live with my grandparents on a farm. And coming from a typical Indian family, we would listen to Lotus FM. And my grandmother would just love the sound of Devi Sankri's voice. I think I saw the love that she had for it. And I developed the same kind of love. And I would stand in front of the mirror and pretend to be her. As I grew older, morning live was just an essential, but I'd just be so interested in everything they had to share with me. I would love to get onto a site where things are happening and report what's going on and just be that inspiration for someone else, the same inspiration that I found in those people that I watched on TV. Just be that for someone else. I'm Selena and I'm proud to say that I've pursued a career in journalism because of all of those experiences. TV licenses. Hashtag made possible by you. Quarter past 12, I'm Tarej Haripashad bringing you some cutting-edge current affairs. Dexamethasone, everybody's talking about it, but really, what do you need to know about it? I'm very happy to be inviting Dr. Terence Komal onto the program. Dr. Komal, how are you doing today? Very well, Tarish. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for making the time for us. And yes, dexamethasone, everybody's talking about it. Um, and, you know, there's... Uh, it's readily available, we understand, in South Africa. Some say it's, you know, it's, it's an anti-cortisol which has um, uh, anti-inflammatory uh, properties. So help us understand the nature of this drug. Sure. So just in context, dexamethasone primarily, although we find bits and pieces of it in various medications, from eye drops to, to various other anti-inflammatory medications, in the use that we, we want to see in the context in the COVID crisis, we would be looking at IV-based dexamethasone. So dexamethasone is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a glucocorticosteroid, which is a particular class of steroids that suppress the immune system. It, very simply put, it's, it functions in this case, and its use case is to suppress the immune system or an inflammatory response. Mm. And readily available in South Africa? Very readily available. Uh, you see, there's, there's two points. One is we manufacture it under, uh, you know, in South Africa through a few of the, the pharma companies. We also import a large amount of it from different manufacturers to use the product in, in an ICU setting. To give you the context, my father's currently in a non-COVID environment in an ICU, and he's currently on, on, on dexamethasone at this point for exactly the same use, anti-inflammatory properties to, to limit the, 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 the harm that the body causes to itself.
So from what you're saying then, it needs to be administered. So I can't just go into a shop and say, hey, give me some dexamethasone tablets, pop that and feel that I'm going to be, you know, easing off any COVID-19 symptom I may have. Correct. See, dexamethasone is not meant for symptomatic treatment. So it's not meant for a, a patient to be consuming on their own because of the side effects and risks, firstly. Secondly, we need to see if it's warranted. Therefore, the, 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 the literature that's out, although it, we, it says dexamethasone works, it says dexamethasone works in an ICU setting for patients who are either on a ventilator or on respiratory support. That means a CPAP machine or high, high supplemental oxygen. It's not meant for every time somebody thinks they have COVID or even have COVID to say this is great for flu-like symptoms because of the risks and complications associated with it. And it's not a preventative drug as well, meaning you can't take it now, even if you're COVID-19 free, in the hope that you'll, you know, uh, re- reduce your risk of ever catching COVID-19, right? No, 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 none whatsoever. I think, Tanish, what, what I think our, our, you know, our valued listeners need to be aware of is let's assume you're able to twist someone's arm and get your hand on a vial or something like that. Dexamethasone, because one, it is, it's an important treatment for various conditions, you know, currently, you know, even having my own father in ICU with these kind of conditions, is dexamethasone or steroids in, in a broad sense, when you suppress your immune system, you suppress your body's response to react to any inflammatory process. So that means if you were to be exposed to the flu or any other infective uh, you know, organisms or anything in the air, or you come into contact with anyone else with other in, any infective processes like TB and other related matters, your immune system will be suppressed and not be able to respond, which puts you in a worse off situation. All you're doing is using the medication to lower your guard because sometimes the inflammatory response does more harm than good, and in the right trained hands, it's, pos- it, it's very useful. But to a layperson saying, I think I have inflammation, I need to take it, is completely unwarranted and actually dangerous. Yeah, very important to, to raise that issue. Unadministered, um, it could be quite dangerous for you. Well, let's look to the study then. Everybody's talking about this, you know, 30% reduction that it's shown in that UK trial. Um, and and of, at this stage as well, even as far as the health department themselves, they really want the full study released so that they could analyze it, understand it, and, you know, look at how best to implement it in South Africa. What are your thoughts on these preliminary findings? 30 reduction on patients on ventilators who have been diagnosed with COVID-19? Sure. I think now that there's admission that it works is is great. It's not like it's breakthrough. To give you an idea, when it came to steroids and steroid use, I've been preparing steroid use for medicines for patients that we may be seeing, friends and family. I've invested probably in probably 2,000 bottles of steroids in early March for potential use in the COVID crisis. Because anybody who understands how the inflammatory process works knows steroids are going to be part of your mainstay stable of treatment. So it's not that dexamethasone was suddenly discovered it's useful. Somebody decided to do a study to say it is useful. But most practitioners and most facilities use it anyway. So to, to us, it's not groundbreaking discovery. We know this already. The fact that we got a study to say we know it works in COVID doesn't change the fact that this is already part of the stable of treatment that 100% of the patients in the country may already be getting because the biggest challenge we have is the damage caused by the inflammation in the body, which is which reduces your, your oxygenation, causes a large amount of fluid accumulation, and reduces the body's ability to function normally with an infection like COVID and others.
So having said that now, um, and I know this is a question best placed for the Department of Health, and I think when I spoke with them, it was quite preliminary in the findings, so they didn't have a direct answer for me. But your thoughts, and uh, you know, if, if you're away at all, um, do you know when it's likely to be used to actually fight COVID-19 uh, for patients on ventilators in South Africa? I currently think it's already been used. I don't think it changes anything that we've been doing. The study just affirms what we know, and I think that's important because I know both in the ICU setting that my father's on the same medication and most patients that I'm aware of are being treated. Any good clinician knows part of your arsenal is steroid use, but you need to use it very carefully because of the side effects and the implications. Because if you suppress it, you also allow the infective process to grow. So it's used in a very, very small window to say, we reduced inflammation, so we allowed the rest of the medication and treatment to work, but not to such an extent that we suppressed the immunity that we allowed the COVID to spread. That is the catch-22 that you'd find yourself in using it. Therefore, in the right trained hands, in intensivists or physicians or trained doctors who know what they're doing, it could be massive benefits, but it's already most certainly being used, whether it be in any of the provinces across the country. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why there's been, you know, dare we say, this guarded sort of optimism about it was, you know, um, you've had the likes of many banding about um, hydroxychloroquine, for example, as being some sort of COVID-19 miracle wonder. And, you know, many papers uh, saying it doesn't work, but also many influential people saying it does work. So I think, you know, that came with a great deal of of, of sort of a grey area. And now you have a sort of an optimism about it. What's this sort of optimism doing to the psyche of a patient, uh, which is basically the whole world right now, who's battling with the COVID-19 burden? What does it do to their mind psychologically that we're we're in the right track. I think psychologically it's very important to, to have hope, Dirish. And I think having hope is an important part because that's already half your battle, staying positive and then creating that positive energy both for yourself and the families affected, whether you're directly affected by COVID or just stressed of the risk of getting it. But very much knowing that the medical teams are doing as much as they can. But again, this isn't a cure for COVID. This allows the ventilation and the oxygenation to improve. So it's part of a broader spectrum. When we dealt with things like hydroxychloroquine, we were dealing with ARVs and a range of medicines that, like Tenofovir and others that people were recommending. There is, you know, early stage data coming out of India and other countries around the world that say these drugs do work in some of the cases they've tested. So we're not saying they don't work. But those were targeting preventing the, the, the acceleration of the growth of the virus in the body and or limiting the speed at which it is, and or limiting the the symptoms that you get. Very much like when you deal with an HIV patient, you use various drugs to try and limit the drug, or sorry, the virus replication in your body, so that you have a stronger chance of of limiting the infection, and thereby recover to, to, to as much as we can. When you talk of something like dexamethasone, it's very good news that, that people are now doing specific studies to say it can be used to reduce the inflammation which is part of any process. So, for example, an HIV patient, a TB patient, a patient who's diabetic and and is admitted for various conditions, anybody who's had an inflammatory state in some form or the other would have used steroids at some point where it was warranted. So, for example, prednisone that a lot of patients use when they have asthma is also a steroid in a similar class to, to dexamethasone in which it would give you a similar effect. It's not the same, but it helps suppress an immune inflammation. So using asthma as an example, when your airways get hyperexcited and hyperstimulated, it, it then it harms your body in, it, it, in itself. 
using prednisone and related medicines allow you to breathe easier. That's the context and use of this for dexamethasone. Interesting points. Well, I think, Doc, thanks so much for helping us understand, um, you know, dexamethasone and, and its properties. Um, let's let's shift to let's, let's conclude rather to some other points now that I want to talk to you about uh, and I think while we're talking about trials and drugs and sort of you know studies that are reinforcing what medical science has already been practicing or knows um, vaccine and where is that right now I mean a lot of trials taking place uh, you know your thoughts your prediction in terms of what you know at the top of your head with regard to the push for a vaccine I think there's massive investment situation. There's great energy going towards the vaccines. Both, uh, you know, there, there are some trials that are involving South Africa and some of the medicines, but most of the trials are happening internationally. And I think what's important is even if we were to find a vaccine today, going through the regulatory processes to get that approved could be anything from six to 12 months down the line, not just internationally. Because as you know, internationally, you have something known as the FDA in the U.S. and other regulators. In South Africa, you have SAPRA, which has replaced the Medicines Control Council. We've discovered in our experience, because I'm also part of the P4SA uh, work streams, that South Africa has actually tightened its processes far more than the international agencies. So trying to get something approved, even though it may be a life-saving product, and we're having the same thing with test kits in the country at this point, where the regulator is just dragging its feet to get things done, which is becoming hugely frustrating. But on the positive side of, of, of the vaccines, I think there needs to be greater impetus and focus on prevention and managing the symptomatic treatment. Because with or without a vaccine, a large amount of our population will be affected and affected by this virus. It is a matter of being able to be conscious of it, not being fearful of it, but being aware that it will spread at some point to a large number of people and being able to take the necessary precautions to try and limit that in terms of knowing, doing the normal personal protective, social distancing, and the good best practices that government has put out a range of information out and other agencies, but also focus on being careful if you are in contact with anyone to not spread it. The symptomatic treatment can be managed by the healthcare teams. So it, is, it does not mean every person who contracts COVID is, is, is that it's going to be lethal. There's a large number of positive cases that are treated and successfully discharged that they're safe to go home. There is a, a, significant, a significant but small number that have higher complications and risks. So yeah, I think it's yeah. the common sense point of saying, let's focus on doing what's right. Yeah. It's coming anyway. Right. Let's manage what we can given the circumstances. Dr. Komal, I want to now bring in onto that point a behavioral aspect of it. Relaxation of lockdown, right? Uh, rather, let's say the opening up of the economy more so because... The, the, the opening up more spaces, more industries, more businesses, not because it's safe to do so. It's because one needs to, to sustain and you know keep the economy kind of going. Um, so what it then means is that South Africans are a bit more fluid right now. They're a bit more, there's a bit more of an integration. They're going, they're going to be going to casinos and cinemas and getting, you know, um, personal care done, they can now sit down at restaurants, etc. So there's going to be a lot more of movement interaction. Um, you also have a very tired South Africa who is just wanting to literally break out uh, um, and, and, and start to get back to, to the way they used to be. So what I'm saying is, from a behavioral point of view, it seems as if South Africans are more opened up to spreading that virus. And you're saying, and a lot of healthcare workers are saying, try and 
stick to social distancing and all the sort of precautionary measures. But when you open up the world the way it has been, what's the risk of the numbers really, really climbing now? I think it's it's not a risk anymore, Therese. The statistics are clear that we will have what they call, you know, we are already in what we call a V pattern. We will have a W pattern. You know, I was on a call with a leading Fortune 500 CEO, Stan Bergman, uh, yesterday about this uh, discussion very specifically. And, you know, we're in agreement saying that the fact that people now start to say, well, it's here, there's nothing we can do about it, means that the numbers will accelerate because of poor social practices and poor decisions But you do need to realize that this could affect very much your own family and everyone else. So even if you're not symptomatic, you could be a carrier to someone else. Take it home as simple as you can. Realize if you are at risk, your family member's risk, somebody's in ICU, feel that that the emotional pain of the risk of knowing that your bad decision-making could put your parents, could put your kids, or put you or your partner in an ICU, and they may not make it out, is, is a chilling reality that we need to face because we make irresponsible decisions. So it is very critical that we be focused on that. I can tell you personally the stress and strain I'm going through at the point, this point having my father in ICU, although not for a COVID matter, it's acknowledging that there is so much medicine can do. But beyond that, we need to take, if, if you're not infected by something, try and limit those risks. Because even if you're a carrier, you are as liable both ethically and legally, for having spread that. I don't think we need to worry about the legal implications more so than are you able to go to bed knowing you made an irresponsible decision that could put multiple lives at risk. Mm, wonderful. Well, Dr. Komal, thank you so much for sparing us the time. Uh, I already got a message here from Marcy Ben saying, sorry to hear about your dad, hope he gets well soon. And that's also our sentiment here as well. Thank you very much thank for you. your time and I uh, hope you take care and look forward to talking to you soon. I pray. Pray all are well and then best of luck to everyone. All right. Thanks so much, Dr. Terence Komal, for bringing us that very important bit of information and advice. Okay, I'm going to go now to some text messages that we've got before we try and put that human face um, to... Uh, COVID-19. Tonti from Richard's base is we're hearing of the peak. What's that number? This is very concerning and worrying us. Um, yeah, we'll try and go through the statistics and just, you know, try and get you an answer there, Tonti. And Simi Mangal says, it makes sense that this drug was already being used in SA because look at our recoveries and deaths compared to the UK, which is far worse. So I think UK has now accepted that it works. So, um, yeah, some great points coming through here. Thank you very much for all the messages. Um, and um yeah here's another one that says um and governor says thanks for the news update there are regulations in place and people are expected to abide by these regulations people are not doing so where are the law enforcement officers they are nowhere to be seen that's from a and governor and um I think it was, it's, it's a Viren saying, a V's from Phoenix saying burning topic we reported um a school for social distance, 39 people in one class up till 13 June. It was reported to province and the school has one pupil that got the virus. There's uh, two schools in heaven. I'm not understanding this. Okay, thanks for the message. Um, 
And we've got messages also from Pran Mahavir, Rambamudli. So thank you everybody for contributing today to our program. So like I said uh, to you that um, I want to be putting a sort of human face now to um, COVID-19. You know, we know about it in terms of numbers and, and the sort of clinical way of approaching it. But what happens when you lose a loved one to COVID-19? Have you gone through that? Have you dealt with that sort of trauma? Please go ahead and let me know your thoughts. We are going to be interviewing somebody who did lose somebody very dear to them. So, um, yeah, when we come back, we take the conversation on a bit more of a personal light. The COVID-19 pandemic has not only changed our country, South Africa, but it has impacted and changed the world. This is indeed our new normal. The New Norm is a brand new show that will provide relevant content that will unpack thoughts and emotions of ordinary South Africans. Through our witty yet insightful presenter, Bliss Yeli, the show will provide insights and facts on our new world affected by COVID-19 and the lockdown. Join The New Norm on SABC3 every weekday afternoon at 6pm. June comes with cooler temperatures, but Afternoon Express is bringing the heat. This youth month will be giving you the biggest celebrities, along with the country's leading experts on fitness and health. We'll also be getting advice on all things business and finance, as well as guidance on nurturing our relationships with our loved ones. The cherry on top is our inspired and delectable recipes served by our incredible chefs. So don't miss Afternoon Express weekdays at 5pm, only on SABC3. Okay, so it's Newsbreak Talk today. I'm Taresh Hari Prashad talking to you about COVID-19 related issues. And um, yeah, I wonder if you could um, share this mind space with me. Um, you know, I've been reporting on COVID-19 for a long time now, and we do it from a statistical point of view, clinical point of view. And, you know, I just wanted to, to spend some time looking at the sort of emotional aspect to it. Should you have a family member diagnosed with COVID-19? Should you yourself be diagnosed with COVID-19? And I think most tragically, um, should you have a loved one who passes away from COVID-19? What sort of burden does that put on you? So I'm now going to be talking to a gentleman named Avesh Ramnarayan, who lost his dad to COVID-19. His dad passed away at the age of 61 to the disease. And here's Avesh very bravely willing to share his story with us today. Avesh, welcome to Lotus FM's News Break Talk. Hi, Avesh. Thanks for, thanks for having me on, on your show. Yeah, and our deepest condolences and sympathies to you, uh, Avesh. I know it's, it's, it's certainly really challenging to, to go through something like this and then still have the courage to talk about it. So we appreciate you agreeing to talk to us about it. So, I mean, you know, we're trying to, to understand what happens, what goes through somebody's mind when, when they're placed in the situation. So help us understand. I mean, how was your dad uh, diagnosed with COVID-19? I understand he passed away in May. Uh, yeah. Um, so basically, my dad was diagnosed uh, actually at the hospital. Um, two days before the hospital admission, he was, he was diagnosed with pre-diabetes or diabetes. And um, my brother actually took him to the hospital because he was feeling a bit delirious and fatigued. And, um, you know, thereafter, the doctors uh, noted that he had some symptoms of COVID-19 and decided to do a test. Um, and, you know, during this course of time, he was unaware that he was actually positive because uh, he always went out with, uh, you know, the necessary PPE and so forth. But, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, he did test positive. Um, so, yeah. 
Yeah. And what was that process? I mean, dad starts to feel a little bit unwell and he's rushed into hospital. What, what's the process thereafter? Um, so, you know, uh, within feeling a bit delirious and fatigued, um, you know, there was a pulmonologist that was looking after my dad at that time. And, um, uh, you know, on confirming that, that he was positive, I think my dad was unaware at that point in time that, that he tested positive. And, um, you know, his, his, his vitals actually deteriorated within a space of six hours, uh, where his lung capacity dropped to around like 88%. Uh, and you know, thereafter, the doctors decided to administer and put him on a, on a ventilator. Uh, that was the procedure at that time where uh, a patient shows signs of uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome. So, um, so yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of the hospital process, I mean, that that was basically basically what they do. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. you know, with with the virus as well, uh, it, it, there isn't a cure for it, and 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 uh, the hospitals in South Africa are only going about cases that uh, that they've researched in in the USA, uh, in Italy, as well as China. Yeah, I think especially at that point, you know, there was not too much data available. Avesh, so you learned that your father's in a bit of a critical condition. I mean, how do you react to that news? I mean, obviously, you can't be there by his bedside, right? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of that, we received a call from the pulmonologist the next morning. And, um, you know, prior to prior to my dad going into, into the high care ward, uh, I had a conversation with him. And uh, he sounded a lot better the next day. Um, which was, I think, a Friday. And uh, he told me he just feels a bit fatigued and he knows he wants to rest and uh, he can't wait until, uh, you know, he can he can uh, receive his medication and get out of there. And, um, you know, the next morning I got the call from the doctor and he told me that my dad was fine the night before. Uh, within six hours he started having difficulty to breathe. And, um, you know, thereafter they had to put him on a ventilator. And, um, you know... Uh, it, it, it's quite difficult to sort of first acknowledge that your 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 your, your parent has been uh, put on a ventilator and then further being you know confirmed as a positive case for COVID nineteen. And Avesh, the inevitable happened, didn't it? And 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 yeah. you know, how are you informed of this? Um, so, with my dad passing away. Uh, we received a call from from um, one of the ICU specialists, and um, he asked if we could have uh, any family members that could come to the hospital. And uh, you know, it was a very bold statement where he said he's not sure if my dad was going to make today. And um, at that point in time, you know, with the lockdown and so forth, me being in Johannesburg, the only person that could get to my dad in time was my brother. And um, you know, my father rushed to the hospital, and um, we couldn't physically see him because, uh, you know, because of the whole uh, social distancing and, and then obviously the spread of the virus. So, um, my brother was uh, was put in full PPE, and uh, he could only stand from a viewing window, which was about uh, 10 meters away from from where my dad was. And um, we were allowed to to have a telephone conversation, you know, with my dad, but uh, obviously with him being on a ventilator and sedated. Uh, there wouldn't have been any response, but um, you know, thereafter, uh, I was given the opportunity to to sort of say goodbye to my dad, uh, not realizing that it was actually a goodbye. And uh, within 15 minutes, I got a call from one of the nurses to say that he passed away. And how do you deal with that, Avesh? I'm, I'm trying to understand, and I know it's it's just so incredibly challenging to talk about this. It's 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 heartbreaking to listen. Um, you know. Oftentimes, um, what we know of death 
as we've known of it, um, you know, so many deaths are different. But, of, you know, when you do have a, a, a parent that is sick sometimes, you know, some family members are fortunate enough to sit at the bedside and, you know, spend those vital last minutes with their family member. Obviously, due to the nature of COVID-19, you and your family couldn't do that. So, you know, how heavy does that weigh on your heart? Um, you know, Teresh, it's, it, it, it's very, very difficult. And, you know, with the whole lockdown thing, I wasn't able to, uh, to actually see my dad. And for me, the last time I saw him was uh, in the first week of Feb. And, um, you know, my brother, the last time you saw him was uh, prior to his hospital admission, which was around the 27th of April. So, uh, you know, in a way, you don't get that much closure. Uh, it's very difficult because um, you, you almost want to believe that it, it, it's been a mistake um, because you don't see any physical evidence of it uh, besides, in, you know, hospital documentation. And, um, you know, just just trying to accept it itself is, is one of those things that, uh, you know, you can believe one day and uh, you think something else or you'll feel like, uh, you know, your dad is on holiday somewhere and you're waiting for him to come back. And uh, I'm sure it, so many it, things I, unsaid. I think, yeah, it, it, there's so many, so many things unsaid and, uh, you know, things that you would have wanted to say that you never got an opportunity to say. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it was it, it, it's really been difficult. But, um, you know, we, we've had a lot of support from family and friends. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's the only thing that has been getting uh, getting us through the Absolutely. day. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But obviously, you know, with that, it wasn't physical physical family support. No one could be there. So. Yeah, but that would, this is my next point then, Avesh. So obviously that, and you process that, you know, I've not said everything I wanted to say to my dad. I wasn't there. All of those things. And, you know, you deal with that. You go through that trauma, that mourning, um, that grief. And then it does come to funeral arrangements. And here again, it's a different sort of setup. You know, normally funerals can be quite intimate. It can be, you know, you can really um, honor uh, the person who's passed away. But in a COVID-19 situation, it's limited sometimes to a clinical procedure, isn't it? Yeah, so, um, Teresh, this is, this is one of the sort of parts that uh, I think hurt the most, uh, you know, uh, in terms of the funeral arrangements. So, um, you know, we're already almost uh, well over a month, uh, you know, later after my dad passed away. And during mid-May, I'm not sure if anything has changed now, but with uh, a patient that was uh, previously positive with COVID-19, if you pass away from it, uh, there isn't much time for funeral arrangements. Um, More often than not, it it has to be a same-day funeral. And uh, what happened in our situation was because my dad passed away in, in sort of the afternoon, we didn't have much time. And um, seeing that uh, that happened, I, I wasn't even sure if the hospital knew that uh, same day um, funerals and cremations needed to be done because uh, their paperwork wasn't done as well. So um, my dad had to be cremated the same day. Um, and I, I want to delve a little bit deeper, uh, deeper on this because it, sure. it sort of touched me like obviously you know you know in a way where it hurt quite the most um being a hindu uh, a, a hindu person as well um we couldn't uh, you know wash a bath my dad we couldn't put him yeah. in his suit and his yeah. jewelry we couldn't put yeah. anything that we wanted to send him off in um you know there was no physical contact as well so uh, what basically happened was the funeral parlor had to collect my dad from from the hospital because the hospital didn't even want to send him towards a, a mortuary or, or anything yeah, of that sort. Yeah. So with a COVID-19 uh, disease patient, you, sure. you're not allowed admission into a mortuary. So yeah. 
uh, if anything, the funeral parlor uh, picked up my dad. Um, from what I could imagine, it would be his hospital attire, and mm. I think the process was to have, um, you know, my dad put in, in a few body bags and then taken to the funeral parlor to, yeah. to be put into a coffin. Yeah. And, you know, the coffin was, was actually sealed, uh, so we couldn't even see my dad. Yeah. And, um, you know, the whole, the whole funeral, funeral procession, if you want to call it that, mm. uh, fortunately, my brother and his wife, his mother-in-law and one of his friends was allowed um, at the crematorium, mm. but it was just basically the fourth him, and he had to face everything sort of head on. Yeah. Um, with me, I received the hospital documentation five minutes before uh, my dad's cremation could start. So obviously with, with the lockdown being in place, flights weren't available. It would have taken me an average of six hours to get to Durban. So yeah. I had to watch my dad's cremation uh, yeah. via video call. Uh, I'm glad that we have the technology to do it, but I mean, you know, it's also sort of a horrific thing to actually watch your dad's cremation being done uh, via video call. And um, even the cremation itself, um, there, was a, there was a pundit there, and uh, he could only perform a howling, uh which was done within a space of 10 minutes. Uh, we couldn't do any of the last rites for my dad at that point in time. Uh, and after the howling was done, there were two gentlemen in hazmat suits who basically took my dad uh, yeah. towards the furnace and you yeah. know, proceeded with the cremation. Yeah, yeah. Avesh, uh, I mean, thank you. I'm proud of you actually for you know having the courage to share this with the, you know, the millions of South Africans listening to you right now. Um, you know, for them to understand the. the what happens in this situation? I mean, we'd be very grateful for that sort of, I think, information that you're sharing with us. Um, and how do you deal afterward? Avesh, how does the family handle this? Because like we said, I think, and, and you mentioned that, that you're Hindu, and I know within the Hindu sort of system of funeral, there's a, what, a two-week sort of um, funeral process that follows afterward, which is, a lo- which is met with a lot of comfort and family and prayer and consoling. It's the mourning period. Uh, did you continue with all of that? And how did all of you deal with the fact that you weren't able to have this proper cremation for your father? Yeah, so, I mean, Trish, it was, a, it was a bit of a difficult one. Um, we were fortunate enough to be able to perform my dad's last rites. Um, you know, it wasn't done at the cremation, but we were allowed to do it two days later at the crematorium with, with the priest. So fortunately, we could do that, but um, we weren't allowed to have a lot of family. And obviously, because my dad passed away from the virus, uh, you know, some family that had ailments and that stuff, didn't want to come through in case, you know, you know, uh, you know in terms of whereabouts in, 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 in Durban and so forth. So um, I had my uncle with me, uh, who also had to maintain social distancing. Uh, and it was just my brother and I who had to perform the last rites and, and my brother's wife and, our, and my partner. And, um, you know, in an instance like that, uh, the normality is to have family around you. And uh, I yeah. think for us, we had a sort of, a, I think, a maximum of maybe six people around us at that time. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, it is quite difficult. And um, it will be quite difficult uh, because of the legislation in place uh, around COVID-19 patients. Yeah. So some messages coming through here for you, Avesh, before we wrap up our conversation. Um, Louis Pillay from Centurion says, uh, my deepest sympathy and condolences to the Ramnarayan family. May your father rest in peace. Ramba Mudli says, condolences. Uh, it is said, when we are in hospital, no one is going to hold your hand 
to say goodbye and it's very sad. Thanks so much to you for sharing this very, very sad moment with us. And Ronnie Narayan Sami from Chatswood says, My heart goes out to this young man who lost his father. May his soul uh, rest in peace. Um, Avesh, I think, you know, as we, as you wrap it up, tell us about your father. I mean, you know, he wasn't just a statistic. Um, you know, Suresh, I think... Um, you know, once once a family member tests positive for COVID-19, um, I think all the statistics fall away uh, because there's that one person in your life who uh, who mattered quite a lot to you, and and, and you, you can't look at it as, as a statistic anymore. Um, my dad, uh, my dad used to work at Hewlett Sugar. Um, 61 years of age, he retired at the end of February, so he had uh, you know the better part of a month uh, to retire. And, uh, you know, he, he, he loves spending time with family and friends. He was very up to date with technology, uh, the news going around globally. Um, and, you know, he was an accountant, so that was his forte. Um, he was very active as well. He enjoyed playing golf and playing guitar. And, uh, he also, he also used to go to the gym very, very frequently until the lockdown set in. So, um, you know, the only disadvantage, uh, that he had was, uh, he had your typical Indian uncle stomach, which, uh, you know, that's from the veggies and curries that you all eat. But, um, you know, apart from that, there weren't any ailments that he had besides the recent onset of diabetes. Um, so, yeah, that sums up my dad. And, I mean, I, his, his ex-colleagues, like, miss him dearly. Um, there's a lot of family and friends who who still to this day have been calling and, you know, supporting us and, you know, telling us that they miss him. And, um yeah, if anyone had to meet my dad, they'd probably say the same thing. He's yeah, yeah. Above, yeah. Avesh, how's so, mom doing? Um, so my mom's actually in Cape Town, and um, you know, it, she also couldn't make it for the for the funeral as well, uh, with flights not being available and sort of a an eighteen hour drive, or, or let's call it a little bit more than that, it's probably a two day drive from Cape Town to Durban. So she she couldn't make it at all. But I mean, it, it would devastate any any mother. Um, you know, not being there. My, my parents are actually divorced, but it hit her as hard as it uh, it would hit anyone else. And yeah, I think yeah. one of the things that really affected her was that with my dad passing, uh, she couldn't be there for us either because, uh, you know, because of, of traveling um, interprovincial as well as, uh, as you know, travel time yeah, as well. And obviously, yeah, you know, yeah. we're having to sort of self-isolate and protect yourself from the virus itself. Avesh, I think it's time to wrap up now. And uh, again, our gratitude to you for sharing this sort of information with many. And I think what you've done here is you've um, sort of educated so many South Africans on on the severity of the situation. On that note, to the many South Africans who possibly, um, you know, may have not understood the severity of COVID-19, the fact that a life lives can be lost from it and also it comes with its own sort of challenges um you know what would you say to them on how to take the virus seriously um look if i have to basically sum this up and, and put it out there um this virus is nothing like the flu um yes the younger generations uh, can survive it but uh, statistics have proven that your older generation um are more susceptible to the virus um, so, you know, it, it could be anyone from the age of uh, 60 and over or slightly before that, uh, people with uh, existing ailments and, 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 you know, uh, sort of heart conditions and diabetes and so forth. And uh, what we actually need to realize is 
yes, the younger generation could um, survive uh, having the virus, but passing it on to an elder and, and losing that elder is one of the most horrific things that could ever happen. Um, so if I, if I could just give South Africa a word of advice, um, I know we're into winter now, but keep wearing your mask and keep sanitizing and maintain your social distance and just keep your elders in mind because what this virus is doing is it's going for our elders and our most wisest members of family first. Avesh Ramnarayan, we thank you so much for having the courage to um, talk to us about this. And thank you even more, I think, for um, doing something noble for the rest of South Africa. I think this was not just a conversation, but a sort of information share, an experience share, so other South Africans can learn from you. Uh, Before you leave us, I just want to go through some of the great messages that have come through for you and your loss, our deepest condolences to Avesh and his family. It's from Ashni Patta. She says she knows you, Mum. Uh, Vina says my deepest condolences to the gentleman. My heart is breaking listening to him. May the Lord give him and his family strength. Rita Basesar from Richards Bay says uh, our prayers and thoughts are with him. It's so sad listening to this child speak about his dad's passing. May his Atma rest in peace. Uh, Jeanette says burning tears as I listen to him. So sorry about this, Avesh. And um, Nirasha says, very sad indeed, especially um, your own closed ones. Condolences to you, young man. So, yeah, uh, Avesh, may those messages provide you some sort of comfort. Thanks for your time. And we wish you and your entire family all the strength during this time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on your show. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Avesh Ramnarayan. Of course, he lost his father and he shared the sort of um, you know pain with regard to that. Okay, time to wrap up then, and let's go to um, let's go to some messages that has come through. Go to some voice notes if we have any. Here we go. Here's one uh, this afternoon. May the Lord bless the Ramnarayan family um, and keep them strong and sanction the soul of Mr. Late Ramnarayan. Om Namasivaya. Selvan, thanks for the message. Very sweet of you to provide your condolences like that. Um, a few more text messages. Salim Adams says, people have now more knowledge on COVID-19 and there is no longer a scary feeling as the number of recoveries is remarkably high and it is heartening to learn how de- uh, of low death rates people are understanding the preventative measure. Uh, Zareen from Cape Town says, Hi, day after day you give us... <laughs> Such valuable information, getting the experts on to educate us. I've learned so much. God bless you. Thank you so much, uh, Zareen. I always appreciate your warm wishes. Anonymous says, while we are fighting a war and parents are rightfully apprehensive about sending children to school, we have a group of irresponsible um, pastors demanding that they be allowed to use schools as a place of worship. Um, But I believe that there is uh, religious organizations may operate um, with the with the congregation of 50. So I don't think that's illegal. Uh, yeah, so I think your concern there is the fact that it is at school. But according to legislation, I do understand that religious gatherings may occur. I think if it gathered at schools before, then possibly they just want to pick it up and, um, you know, go, go with legislation. We'll possibly try and find out more about that in terms of uh, schools, um, 
you know, whether schools can be used as spaces of worship. I think that's a bit of a gray area. We're not so sure on that. We know that religious organizations may open, but what about religious organizations that have been using schools perhaps for services? So that's a good thing to find out. Maybe we'll check in with the Department of Education on that and uh, try and bring you some more information on how to go about something like that. Uh, Let's go to this voice note here. Okay, no, that was uh, Jan Pillay saying tears to my eyes on listening to Avesh. Uh, let's listen here. Hello there. Good day, Taresh. How are you? It is so sad about the passing away of the dad. My heart goes out to that family. Pray God will come through. Love from Tamil. Yeah, my bestie over there, Tamil, sending some warm wishes. Thank you, Tamil, for taking the time out to send your condolences. Uh, Tolsi says, very sad to hear about Avesh's dad. Our prayer goes out to him. Uh, another message now. This is from Ramba. Um, hello there. I pray God will be with you all. And that's from Ramba Woodview. Thanks so much for the messages there. Um, so yeah, those are a lot of the messages. Mrs. Nirmala Devi Mudli, hello there. She says, good day to Avesh. Um, th- to get this message across of a personal experience and losing your loved one through COVID-19, my heart reaches out to you, dear Avesh, and your family, and it leaves a void that will never get closure. I pray that God hears this cry and comforts your love unconditionally from Mrs. Nirmala Devi Mudli in Am Kumas. So yeah, those are... You know, putting a sort of a, a human face to it. Uh, hi, Tarish, it's Shani. Hello, Shani. My heartfelt condolences to the Ramnarayan family. This is such an eye opener. We can only um, follow the proper protocols and keep safe, my fellow South Africans. So I think uh, maybe may that, you know, Avesha's story is providing some sort of um, understanding into um, into the nature of COVID 19. Dromila says it's heartbreaking to hear that so yeah those were a lot of our messages today on newsbreak and um i think uh it comes at a time when everybody is just you know uh, I, I think you know if i could assess it uh based on reporting there's just a, a sense of confusion i think for the south african because on one hand you're getting increased numbers and you're told that the, the 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 numbers the daily infection rates are increasing that we are the foothills of the of the peak and on the other hand, there's a sense of the economy opening up and you get a bit more freedom. And then on the third hand, if there is one, um, you have a frustration of people just tired of possibly not stopping over on Sunday to have tea with mum, you know, at home. And what do you do? You know, um, so it's 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 a really challenging time for South Africans as the COVID-19 sort of issue progresses. Last message here, Sandra, my condolences goes out to the child. So heartbreaking. And um, may you get the strength to deal with it. OK, well, we're going to wrap up now. And tomorrow is Father's Day, is it not? It's also World Yoga Day. And many are celebrating World Yoga Day tomorrow. So we're going to be talking a little bit about yoga the importance of that and then i want to ask you something very important so please think about it what do you enjoy doing with dad 
what are your memories of the things that you do with dad? I'd love to know. And you can share that with me. Maybe you and dad can voice note us together and tell us about, you know, the things that specifically you do with your dad and that you, you know, enjoy it. So we'll be talking about that. So we'll leave the program here now. It came your way courtesy of the team, executive producer Salma Patel and Rachel Vadi. And I'll talk to you tomorrow between 12 and 1 o'clock. From Itadish, hey, have an awesome day. News break. Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.